This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Lynn Freeman, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Being a grandparent is a wonderful role. All care and no responsibility, as the saying goes. But many grandparents are involved in helping raise their grandchildren to support working parents. Dr Tessa Grigg is the co-author of a new book for grandparents, a guide to helping bring up well-rounded, emotionally balanced grandchildren, even if you only look after them for a few hours a week. Tessa is a part-time lecturer and teaching assistant at the University of Canterbury who has extensive, ex- extensive experience in teaching and child development. Her co-author, Dr Jane Williams, is adjunct senior lecturer at James Cook University in Queensland. Tessa Morena. Morena, Lynn, thank you very much for having me. Why did you feel, the two of you, that there was a need for this book, a guide essentially? I mean, don't grandparents kind of automatically know what to do through their own experience? Well, yes, they do, and they've got lots of wonderful experience. Um, We fully acknowledge that, and we certainly acknowledge that through the book. But one of the things that um, has happened over the years is stuff's changed, and the type of children that, uh, you know, the way children are now is quite different, and what we're expecting of our children is also quite different. So we thought Jane has thought about doing this for a long time, and what happened was quite a few she noticed that a lot of grandparents were bringing their parents, uh, their children to gran- grandchildren to Jimbaroo. And also her friends started asking her questions, like, no, my grandchild does this, what shall I do? <laughs> so that's what got her on the journey. And she um, kindly invited me to be part of it because I come, Jane has a nursing background and I have an education background. So together our skills kind of complement each other. So what's in the book? Well, we have used it basically, we view it as a a bit of a guide. Um, It's the kind of thing that you can dip in and out of. But what we've uh, put in it is lots of um, practical information as well as the theory that goes behind it. But we work really hard not to, um, you know, write a a text that was hard to read and, you know, a bit dull. We um, have tried to make it easy to read, but also make sure that there's some academic rigour. You know, we've used research-based articles and um, that we've quoted, quoted. And, yeah, just separated everything easily. So we think it's kind of an easy way for grandparents to help themselves. And so much, of course, happens in those first few years of life. They're crucially important. So remind us of those kind of key developmental building blocks that parents and grandparents and other carers must be looking out for. Yes, I think um, both Jane and I come from a movement perspective. So we believe that if children are moving efficiently and well, then there's lots of life that works better for them. So from a grandparent's perspective and parents, it's giving children lots and lots of opportunities to go and move. So I'm, I'm somebody who likes them to go to the park every day. And quite often I'll say to grandparents, you know, get hold of your little grandy and dance with your baby so that they're experiencing um, good movement. And, of course, we want children to crawl. We want them to um, be able to climb and to run and, and be free. And, of course, COVID has changed some of that. 
uh, for people, so there's not the same freedoms that we used to have. But now um, in our book, we give ideas of you know, how you can get around those kind of problems. But yes, children should have lots of movement opportunities. They need good language um, opportunities. So grandparents are great from that perspective because quite often they have worked out that it's good to take time. And I know my mother-in-law had a PhD in reading the same story over and over again to her grandchild, and she didn't seem to mind, whereas I was probably a bit busy and I used to find the same story, um, you know, come on, Harry, let's do something different. But um, grandparents often work out that if that's what the child wants, that's a really good thing to do. And I think also grandparents are good at, um, we know that children need to be have good social and emotional development. And I think grandparents can play a really important role um, there as well. Tessa, it's tricky though, isn't it? Because many, maybe most grandparents really want to be the fun ones. You know, they want to do special things with their grandchildren, maybe sneak them a few treats here and there. Is it possible for them to be both a regular caregiver for a grandchild and, and still preserve that really special bond? Well, I believe it is because I think grandparents have wisdom on their side and experience. And I don't think you have to spend a lot of money. I think what children really want more than anything is time. And if you have the luxury of having um, more time with your grandchildren, I mean, that's just precious, particularly under five, because that's where those lovely relationships get built. Yes, I understand what you're saying. You know, grandparents do some things and and they send them home and the parents have to do all the disciplining. But I think um, what happens these days is that quite often grandparents are more involved and so therefore the children, it's kind of more of a normal life as opposed to just a treat with grandma, you know. So we're talking, are we talking really here about grandparenting, not parenting, and to remember that there's a difference? I think there's a difference, but I think they blur quite a bit. Um, yeah, yes, yeah. I think that, you know, going to visit grandma on Sunday is a lot, is definitely different to what lots of grandparents are experiencing where um, there's a network in New Zealand, an organisation that helps grandparents who are actually really doing parenting. And I think our book helps those people as well. But I think also what we're trying to do is say to grandparents, even if you're not a full-time parent of your grandchildren, take time to spend time with them so that you build these relationships and provide them the richness of, you know, what you can provide. What about behaviour and modifying behaviour? I mean, I, I imagine that a few grandparents these days may have grown up getting the old wooden spoon on the back of the, you know, on their backside uh, or, or smacking their own children. And things are very different these days. Is it really important that parents and grandparents sit down and talk about things like this? Because it's really confusing for kids. Yeah, we've, we definitely talk about that and having conversations with your children to make sure that you're all on the same page is incredibly important. I could always tell um, when my mother wanted information, she'd say to me, and what does the modern grandchild do <laughs> when she was finding out information? And I, I think that's very important. But in the book, we talk about smart ways to um, manage behaviours that you know, in the past you might have given them a clip over the year. We know more about how to manage children and I think that 
parents can, our grandparents can certainly learn those ways. And, and provided there's not, you know, major time um, constraints, which grandparents sometimes don't have, sometimes behaviours um, sort of seem to disappear if you're not putting children under pressure. I think one of the things that has changed also in the last few years is that um, approach of giving children, even really young children, lots of choices. Certainly the opposite to the way that I was brought up. Um, And it can be quite, I look at it thinking, oh my goodness, I'd be quite bewildered having all these choices, say of of food or or options on what to do. Uh, And that may be pretty tough for a a grandparent also, do you think? Um, I think Possibly if you haven't thought about it, it might be. But as soon as you start reading about why this is good for children and the fact that we're trying to develop creative problem solvers, then it becomes quite clear and you go, oh, yeah, that is a good thing to do. You know, it's all right for children. I mean, they do get overwhelmed if they've got too many choices. But giving a choice um, whenever I I work with children in a a clinical way as well, and I always give them a choice. Where would you like your mum to sit? Would you like her to sit here or would you like her to sit over there? And it's about giving children some control, or we call it agency, over what they're doing so that they feel like they're a contributor and that they're part of, um, you know, part of the decision-making process. Because for quite often children, um, we kind of override their needs um, often and think, you know, well, I know best that adults tend to do this. But if you actually stop and go, all right, well, this is a situation where a child could make the decision, I'll let them make that decision. I think one of the key things, Lynn, is to make sure that the options you give are all acceptable to you. That makes life a lot easier. What's your advice on treat food? I I had a flashback to my granddad who lived with us and he always had pockets full of black balls and aniseed balls. (laughs) (laughs) um, And and just they were were on hand um, for for us from him. But, uh, you know, our, our, our thinking has moved on a little bit in terms of sugar. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I'm afraid to say I'm not a huge sugar fan, particularly when it comes to children. You know, I think it's okay to have the odd small treat, but I think if you are viewed as the, you know, grandma's got the sweets and the biscuits, um, I'm not sure that that's, well, certainly it's probably not the way I would want to be viewed. But I think that um, there are alternatives that people um Sort of have worked out that, that, that you know are still treats, but maybe not quite so much so full of sugar or something. I think it's about finding a balance and not saying no, you can't have any sweets, but um, just make it that that's not all that they eat when they're at grandma's. Sleep, of course, incredibly important for this age group. In fact, any age group. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think quite a lot of families have. Um, quite high levels of stress when sleeping isn't working for them. Um, Children who don't sleep don't function that well, their brains don't function well, and certainly parents who are not getting enough sleep uh, don't function. Uh, Kathleen Liberty found from the study that she did at Canterbury University that that was one of the key things after the earthquake was helping families get um, back into good sleep patterns and good sleep routines so that um, everybody felt a lot better. And in the book, we talk about the types of things that are good. So making sure that, you know, it's warm and dry and comfortable. Um, things like making sure that you don't sort of stir them up or fill them up with sugar just before they're going to bed, which can sometimes happen. 
Um, having a very, you know, as a grandparent, I think it's important to talk to your children and find out what their bathing and bedtime routine is all about so that you can replicate that at your house as well. Just sort of, they're, sometimes they're quite small trips, um, and but they make a huge difference. Families function so much better when people are sleeping. Um, some thoughtful uh, messages coming in for you, Tess. I'll share this one with you from Steve. It says, when I was looking after my grandson, I started talking to him in high-level language. At one year on, I, I could tell he could understand, but just hadn't learned to vocalise his thoughts. Now he's two years, seven months, and saying quite complex things. Um, I need to go outside to concentrate. Uh, you need to calm down, Dada. Is this normal? And it also says, given my grandson has great comprehension... How much could he understand about COVID if I explained it to him? For instance, he understands filtration, so the mask filters harmful, very tiny viruses so you don't get sick. Is this kind of thing too much for him? What a great quick question and how gorgeous that that child is having somebody speaking to him um, along those lines. I'm a huge fan of using big words with young children. I, things have changed. When I first started teaching back in the day, a thousand years ago, um, I was really excited if I got a child who knew four colours and could recognise their name at five. You know, I thought, right, this is a good one. I'm on. You know, I'm in here. This is fantastic. I'm teaching children now who are naught um, five still, and if I do a, a term on colours where I focus, I'll have two-year-olds who reliably tell me four or five colours. And I've got two-year-olds who are abstracting, which is what um, this person, Steve, is talking about, where this child is is able to um, talk and think in a much deeper way. And what I encourage him to do is to ask questions, get feedback from the child, ask the child. Um, One of the questions I remember asking some two-year-olds was, um, why do we have windscreens? And there was a lot of thinking that went on. And then a little boy called Charlie said, I know, you have them so you've got a place to put your windscreen wipers. And you can't say that it's not wrong, it's right, it's perfectly right. But his way of processing that at two showed that he had um, he'd taken a concrete situation and applied it, of course, so it's quite a rudimentary um, abstracting. But um, what Steve's talking about, I just love this. This is the kind of child we need. This is the kind of conversations. And grandparents are great at these conversations because they will spend time with the child and explore things with them and let it, you know, let the um, conversation wander, which is important. Tessa, this next text comes off the back of our conversation on perhaps different approaches to uh, behavioural issues. It says, thank you so much for raising the issue of grandparents not understanding changes like smacking. Uh, This says, my mother refuses to not smack her grandchildren and insists that it is her right to do so if she thinks it's appropriate, even though my husband and I have explained we don't believe in hitting. She refuses to see her grandchildren as a result and tells everyone that I don't let her see them. It's heartbreaking for all of us, but mostly for my kids who don't understand why granny won't come to visit that yes that breaks my heart um yeah that's all about education i think it's about people understanding why hitting is not as um you know it's not a successful technique and maybe maybe she we've got a whole section about this about you know alternatives to smacking and um 
Yeah, I, I, my heart goes out to that mother because, of course, you want your children to have a relationship with the, the grandparents. But I also applaud her for standing up and saying, it's not okay to smack my children. And that, for that, I think that's a, a wonderful thing. And hopefully they can find some common ground through conversation and the, you know, the approach to what's going on rather than um, it being a brick wall. I enjoyed your chapter called Talk, Read, Play and Be a Tech Dinosaur. Um, that, that <laughs> there'll be a few of us out there who are naturally tech dinosaurs, but that whole concept of getting really involved. I mean, reading to kids, one of the great joys in life. Yes, and this, of course, is where they learn. Um, this is uh, So many concepts are hidden in books, and if you take the time, you can explore those concepts. There's lots of social and emotional stuff going on in books if you stop and, you know, smell the roses on your way through the story. Uh, I think sometimes parents feel a bit intimidated by the fact that their children or their grandchildren are quite tech-savvy and and feel that they won't want to come to grandma's house because, you know, I haven't got the latest video game or whatever it is they happen to be doing. But I think that grandparents can provide things that um, parents don't always have time to do. I mean, stuff like baking. You know, it's messy when you bake with preschoolers. And you have to have time to, you know, enjoy it and be prepared for failures and stuff. But I think that if you can do those kind of fun things, then children get the idea that, um, you know, it is fun at grandma's. You don't have to have all the latest technology. My mother-in-law had a box. And it was just basically full of good bits of rubbish that she'd saved from things. And my son used to spend hours building things. I think I said to her, you need to take um, shares out in sellotape because he used to make all his things with sellotape. But, you know, for him, that was just the highlight of his trip, going to grandma's to play in her box of stuff and what she got there now. So it doesn't have to be complicated. And there's quite clear research that's saying that Children on screens, particularly under fives on screens, it's not such a great place for them to be. We really want them doing things. And so being a tech dinosaur is absolutely perfect in my book, Lynn. Tessa, I've just got a couple of minutes, but this is another kind of plea from one of our listeners. It says, my two-year-old grandson requires watching a video to eat his food. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think parents do this when they're busy. And they um, use it as a distractor so that they can get on and do something else and the child will eat, you know, while they cook the dinner or do the dishes or whatever else they're doing. So they use it kind of as a babysitter and then it becomes a habit. I've always, if you need a distractor in those situations, um, get a book and then it's a doubly good time rather than it having to be a video or play some kind of funny hat game or, you know, where you have five hats and put the hats on. So use it as a creative, constructive time rather than a blob in in front of the video time would be a suggestion that you could try. But I do understand that sometimes this is what people do to make it easy for themselves. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Tessa. We must bring you back on. Dr Tessa Grigg and her guide uh, that she's co-written is called Grandparenting Grandchildren, New Knowledge and Know-How for Grandparenting the Under Fives. And thank you also for those who uh, got in touch with their questions.